Welcome to another edition of Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined once again today by Senior Vice President of Research, Patrick Jankowski. In this episode, we're going to discuss a question that we often get asked here at the partnership, just how dependent is Houston's economy on the oil and gas industry? And how has that changed through the years? We'll also look at employment in the sector and what the future might hold for this important industry here in Houston. Patrick, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me on again, AJ. It's always a pleasure. Patrick, it's probably a good idea to set the stage for this conversation by first talking about what we mean by the energy industry. How do we define the sector? Energy, or most people refer to as oil and gas, they're pretty much interchangeable in Houston. Oil and gas in Houston is pretty much recognized as having three sectors, upstream, midstream, and then downstream. Upstream includes the exploration and production of oil, also the, the services at the well. Midstream focuses on the processing and the transportation and the storage of, of oil or, or natural gas. And then downstream involves the, the refining and the processing. It's what we would associate as, as a refinery or a chemical plant or a plastic plant. There are companies that, that work exclusively in one sector and then the companies that work across all sectors. A typical upstream company would be someone like ConocoPhillips or Marathon or Hess. A, a typical midstream would be Enbridge or Enterprise or Kinder Morgan. Downstream would be Dow or Sitco or Huntsman or Lyondale. And they have integrated. And some of these companies are, are very well-known names. They're like Chevron and Exxon and Shell. And even when I get up to some of the upstream or midstream or downstream, there's some that, that may have operations in two sectors, but they're really big integrated to the ones that operate in all sectors. Got it. And it's, you know, it's obviously worth noting that price fluctuations actually affect different segments of the industry, you know, upstream, downstream, midstream, as you just mentioned, differently, right? Well, and that's what we're going through right now. We saw prices up in the 70s about two years ago. We saw them drop briefly below zero, and that was a fluke of the way the markets were, were pricing futures. And right now they're trading for around $40, $42 a barrel. It's different. If you're upstream, upstream tends to be very volatile. The oil and gas companies will stop drilling as soon as they start to see prices fall. And, and they, that also follows with they used to have layoffs. Midstream, moving the oil or the gas from the wellhead to a facility somewhere on the Gulf Coast, that's not quite as volatile. That depends more on the volume of what's being transported than prices. They are somewhat price sensitive if prices drive down demand. Downstream, the chemicals and refineries act a little bit different. Re refiners like low oil prices because it means they have a wider margin for what they sell at, when they finally produce the gasoline or the crude. Chemicals, a little different. Most of the chemicals here on the Gulf Coast are produced out of, out of ethane or propane. And that's a feedstock or something which is derived from natural gas. They actually like to have high crude prices and low gas prices. And they like the high crude prices because overseas, most of the plastics and chemicals are produced from crude. So if you have a low natural gas price and a high crude price, that kind of gives an advantage to the producers of plastics and chemicals here on the Gulf Coast. As we noted at the top, Patrick, the big question we often get here is just how much does energy contribute to our economy or specifically to the GDP? What did your analysis find? When we first did this analysis back in 2016, looking at 2014 data, we were able to determine based on some of the stuff that VEA provided and some of the things that we had to impute ourselves, 
that Houston's economy was 30, 33% tied to oil and gas. BEA doesn't provide the same level of detail that it had provided back then. It's dropped off some of the data on refining, some of the stuff on chemicals, some of the stuff on transportation. But the partnerships work with some other data sources to try to figure out how much are those contributing now based on what BEA does provide. And it looks like based on a BEA calculation that the size of Houston's economy or the share of Houston's economy tied to oil and gas has dropped to around 25, 24, 25%. Now, you, you, I kind of wonder about that when it's, is there a way to check that? Well, there's something out there called an implan model. It, it's something that organizations like the partnership use to try to calculate the uh, benefit or, or the loss when a company moves in or out of the region. A whole bunch of formulas are inside the model, a whole bunch of coefficients. But one of the things we can use that model for is to try to get some other assessment of just how big different sectors of GDP are in the Houston region. And we worked with that. It's got a little bit more detail than BEA has, but the difference is this is a model versus BEA being an estimate. But based on the implant model, it looks like oil and gas now accounts for about 22, 23, 24, maybe 25%. The, the point I'm trying to make is, it looks like the size of the economy or the amount of the economy tied to oil and gas has dropped by probably about 10%. And whether you go with a, an official government estimate or something that you model, it looks like the, the amount of the economy tied to oil and gas is around 25% now. Got it. Now, how does this compare to what the industry contributed to our economy at its height, Patrick? When we're looking at the peak for the oil and gas industry, which was in late 2014 at the height of the fracking boom, we were looking at well over 30%, perhaps as, as high as 35% of Houston's economy tied to oil and gas. Now we're looking at it's more like 25% is tied to oil and gas based on some of the analysis we talked about dealing with BEA and implant data. So the height was 2014. That's the six-year difference. Yes. Yeah. Okay, got it. Thanks, Patrick. We'll get right back to the conversation. But first, I want to acknowledge our sponsor, Bayou Business Download is made possible by PNC Bank, which is proud to support the Greater Houston Partnership. PNC believes that giving back to their customers, their employees, and our community is the right thing to do. Visit pnc.com slash about us to learn more. The PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., all rights reserved. Patrick, GDP, as we just talked about, is one measure in terms of the, of the overall contribution of this industry. But what about energy sector jobs? What does employment look like and how has that changed in recent years? Uh, once again, we need to look at employment three different ways. We need to look at it in upstream, midstream, and downstream. Upstream's taken the absolute biggest hit. At the peak of employment, which pretty much coincided with the peak of its contribution to GDP, we had over 300,000 people working in upstream energy. And by upstream, that's going to be exploration and production. But I'm also going to add in oil field equipment manufacturing and some engineering in there, because those are, are sectors that we in Houston recognize as tied to, to upstream energy. We've seen that trickle down or trend down. Actually, when I say trickle down, I'm understating. We actually saw a pretty big hit to it during the fracking bust. We started a little bit of an uptick in 2018, but we started seeing it trending down again not too long ago. Right now, as, as you and I are speaking, and this is uh, based on data for June of 2020, there are only 215,000 people employed in the upstream energy side. So the sector has lost 85,000 jobs. Easily it's lost over a fourth of the jobs in that sector. And we went from seeing upstream energy accounting for, I would say, anywhere around close to 
of employment in the Houston region to now it, it accounts for less than 4% of employment in the Houston region. That's a huge drop. Yes, it is. So getting back to the original premise of what we're talking about, energy share of this economy or energy share of employment has dropped off significantly in the last six years. And IJ, there, there are two other areas we need to talk about employment. One is midstream and downstream. Midstream, once again, is the pipelines and, and the storage facilities. Employment for that actually peaked almost 20 years ago. Employment in the midstream sector peaked at close to 14,000 jobs in, in April of 2002. And then it fell as low as, as 8,000 jobs in the middle of, of that decade. And right now, we're at about 12,000 jobs. So after 20 years, we're still below where we were. You need to consider uh, just how much Houston's economy has grown yet the number of jobs is lower than it was 20 years ago. Downstream, the, the, once again, chemicals and refining. At its peak, downstream accounted for about 60,000 jobs. And once again, that was almost 30 years ago. That was in August of, of 1991. We've seen employment in that sector drop off. Now there, there are barely 51,000 people who work in the chemical sector. That's only 1.7% of all jobs in the region versus 30 years ago, it's 3.3%. It seems kind of odd. You wonder with all the construction that's gone on, all the investment that's taken place, why has employment shrunk? Well, two things have happened. For one thing, anything that has come online is much more efficient than the stuff that we had 30 years ago. It takes fewer people to operate the plants. Where chemicals importance is now is something that we'll talk about in a moment called the multiplier effect. You might not have as many people working in the plants, but it takes an awful lot of people to maintain those plants. And that's what's contracted for in, in the Houston region, and that is a huge number of people who work in construction supporting the, the chemicals and refinery plants around here. So Patrick, you've talked about the people that are actually working inside the chemical plants and so forth. What about those that are supporting that part of the industry? Okay, well, let's go back to what we talked about a few moments ago about this implant model. One of the things the model does is it allows us to get some sort of estimate as to what we refer to as the indirect and the induced jobs. You may have a, a chemical plant that employs a thousand people, but it's going to take several thousand people who are pipe fitters and welders and electricians and plumbers and carpenters to maintain it. And then what you have is the people who work in the plant and then you have all these contractors are they going to take their paychecks and spend their paychecks in the economy. And that's what economists refer to as induced employment. That's the spending which takes place at the grocery stores, at the ballpark, in the daycare, at the movie theater. Well, the more an industry is concentrated in a region, the higher that multiplier is. Or the more that can be sourced locally, the higher the multiplier it is, and also how intense those supplies and, and, and services are. It may uh, amaze you that if you had 1,000 people working in a chemical plant, you're going to employ at least another 5,000 people outside the plant working on it, doing these pipe fitting and welding and so forth. And then you're going to employ maybe another 4,000 people are going to have the benefits of the paychecks are being spent by those. There's this concept of the multiplier. Petrochemicals actually has the highest multiplier on the Gulf Coast, this highest secondary effect. But even oil and gas extraction is pretty strong. Oil and gas extraction has a multiplier of, of 3.2, which basically says for every 1,000 jobs in oil and gas extraction, there are another 2,200 jobs in the community that are being supported. Got to put that in perspective. If you looked at just a simple manufacturing operation, it's only going to have a multiplier of, of 1.8 or 2. The benefit to the economy is 50% greater from an oil and gas extraction than from a general manufacturing plant. That makes sense. So huge difference there. And so, AJ, that's why this multiplier effect, it's both a good thing and a bad thing. 
if we're going to bring in a thousand jobs, it supports an awful lot of additional jobs in the economy. But if you cut a thousand jobs, that means all those other jobs, those indirect and induced jobs are at risk as well. If they cannot find some other source of uh, some other customer that they're going to be supplying. Yeah, it definitely cuts both ways there. So while energy isn't quite the same powerhouse it once was, it's worth noting that the industry still plays an pretty outsized role in the daily life of Houstonians, right? It's kind of funny. It's it's like, uh, yeah, what have you done for me lately? Because hmm. people love energy when oil prices are $100 a barrel and we're leading the nation in home starts and in population growth and employment growth. But once those crude prices start to fall, people are just not happy with energy and they say, we need to get out of it. We need to find something else. But you need to think about it. Houston would not be an international city if it wasn't for the energy industry. One fifth of the world's national oil companies have operations in Houston. Two thirds of the globally integrated companies have operations in Houston. Over half of the non-US oil field service companies have operations in Houston. They're here because of the energy industry and that's what gives us our strong ties. Now you think about it, uh, over half of the tonnage that's handled, actually it's probably close to 70% of the tonnage handled at the Port of Houston is somehow tied to energy. And um, I know it's been a while since I've been able to attend a game at Minute Maid Park, but you know, if you're sitting in the bleachers and you look at the outfield fence and you look at all the advertisers, over half of those are companies that are somehow engaged in oil and gas. Now, if you want a little bit more hybrid entertainment, you're going to the opera or the ballet, pick up the program, look at who the sponsors are. They're people in the oil and gas business. So we shouldn't be always so dismissive of oil and gas because it plays a major role, not just in the economy, but also in the social life here. And it stands to reason as the energy capital of the world, this, this industry continues to play a, a rather big uh, role in who we are, our identity as a city, right? But given all that, what does the future hold for energy here in Houston and its role in our economy? We're really struggling right now, the economy in general, because we have the double whammy of, of COVID plus climate change that everyone's worried about, that we, and rightly so, we should be worried about. And we're trying to figure out the best way for Houston to adapt in this world of a low-carbon environment and the need to make significant changes in the way we do business so we can mitigate climate change. Well, you know, we've, we started doing that about two years ago already. The Center for Houston's Future hosted a, a, a low-carbon energy summit that brought in leaders from all over the world in the energy industry to talk about how do we address this transition to a low-carbon future. You know, our own chairman, Bobby Tudor, at our annual meeting said that Houston has not only the responsibility but the opportunity, or I should say the opportunity and the responsibility, to manage this transition, to help the world transition to it. Now, if you look at BP, Shell, Chevron, Exxon, they're all doing something. They might not get the credit for it, or maybe it's not quite as visible, but they're all working on it. I mean, we had a company that came to town recently, Greentown Labs, based mm -hmm. in Boston. They're an incubator for, for energy startups in the non-traditional, non-hydrocarbon sector. So things are taking place here. It's interesting. We, we often refer to this next stage in energy in Houston as being energy 2.0. But you, know, you have to realize that we wouldn't have a chance for 2.0 if it wasn't for energy 1.0 to begin with. Right. And I think we've seen a sea change in the attitude toward energy transition here in Houston in the last few years, as you mentioned. I mean, I think we might not have been able to have this conversation 5, 10, 15 years ago. But right now, everyone, I think, realizes the need and as you mentioned, those specifically, you know, the, a lot of those major companies 
are, are working to realize how they're going to transition as, as a company in this, in this new environment, right? Yeah. You no longer have uh, people who believe in a flat earth. You no longer have people believe we didn't land on the moon. You no longer have people who believe that climate is not an issue. I think everybody embraces it now and recognizes that. And the energy companies in Houston recognize that as well. And they're trying to manage the transition, both from a social aspect, but from a business standpoint as well. Patrick, thank you for joining this conversation today. AJ, always glad to talk to you. And that's it for this episode of the Bayou Business Download. Thank you again to PNC Bank for helping make this podcast possible. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so by visiting the podcast page on houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. We're also updating our coronavirus resource page daily with links, articles, and tools geared toward the Houston business community. You can find a link on our homepage. Please continue to follow the directives from local officials and health experts. Thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.